0: I'm Victoria Doherty and welcome to The Cold. Cold is the way revenge is best served, the way war was fought, and the way a story should be told. And in keeping with our, um, our kind of weekly journeying here in The Cold, we are diving deep, deep, deep into story, into the moral center of a story this week. fairy tale worth its salt. Wishes are rarely granted without strictures or consequences. Curses are never administered without some sort of clever escape hatch baked into them. An escape that almost always requires a moral test, one that demonstrates how choices shape a person's character and outcome. Take Cinderella. Cinderella is showered with gifts and opportunities by her fairy godmother. They're all rewards for a life lived with honor and dignity under some pretty dire circumstances. But even those gifts have a shelf life. Cinderella is only allowed to enjoy them until the stroke of midnight. And what she does with them in that short time that she has them at her disposal can change the course of her life forever, provided she plays her cards right. (coughs) Then there's Beauty and the Beast. Now, Beauty and the Beast, I think, is truly... One of the most, if not the most, perfect fairy tales ever conceived, because both Beauty and the Beast have to grapple with elements of their own characters, and I think in most fairy tales it's only really one person that has to do that—one of the lovers, or you know, just one individual—that is that is the, the person who is primarily having that struggle. Here we have a beast whose curse has entangled, you know, both he and beauty. And this forces a sequence of choices that have the potential to transform both of their lives. Beauty must learn to see beyond the beast's ugly animal features and love him in spite of them. And the beast in turn must grow his own virtues he has to shed his vanity and learn how to love well and selflessly before he can have any hope of breaking his curse of having his love reciprocated and becoming the handsome prince he once was that's why in part five of our fairy tale in progress the one we are trying to to construct from the ground up using all of these wonderful, enchanting elements that have, you know, been building in fairy tales over the ages, over God, you know, thousands of years, really back to the myths that we were enchanted by, um, that that uh, you know the Greeks and the Romans wrote, Sumerians. Um, all, the, all the way up until like Grimm's Fairy Tales and, and 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 Hans Christian Andersen and all the ones that we love today. Um, well, anyway, in part five of Romakai, which is our fairy tale in progress, we are playing with the importance of moral choices, which I think is really the most important of all the elements of how a fairy tale's protagonists are shaped by their responses. To curses and magical forces and plain old bum luck. It's through their actions and their inactions that they teach us how the choices we make today will build the lives that we live tomorrow. I mean just think about that, that is just so tremendous and you know, how important that is for us, especially as really young people, to read, you know, how it codifies what our parents tell us. And, you know, shows us a a little bit of enlightened self-interest, you know? No, it's not just about um, sharing what you don't want to do as a child, for instance, or being polite or being kind. These, it's not just about the here and now. What you do today really will have an effect on who you are and your happiness and your success and your ability to influence people and get friends as you grow and um, eventually become an adult. So, without further ado, let's dive into part five of Ramakai. You'll have to descend into hell to speak with Count Furfur. The witch Sibyl said, otherwise I imagine he'll simply wait for you. Whether he has to wait one year or a thousand matters little to him as he himself is truly immortal and will continue to live on even after this universe is gone and a new one has come in its place. romakai did not like the sound of that. She fingered the necklace at her throat, the one with the pearl, and Count Purfer's first seal. She wanted to curse the Earl of Hell, who had tricked her into putting it on, luring her into his clutches. Only, if Count Ferfer hadn't done that, she'd have never been able to leave the pond, or gotten to know Lionel and fallen in love with him as evil as Count Furfer undoubtedly was he did have the curious ability to bring a man and a woman together in love that had to mean something how can I descend into hell she asked Sybil took a deep breath and placed her hand over Romakai's I can help you, but it's very dangerous. It doesn't take a very powerful witch to send an enchanted girl into the underworld, but it does take one to bring her back. Are you that powerful? Sybil bit down on her lip. She came closer and looked deeply into Romakai's eyes. They had been a murky green when she'd first met the girl in her doorway. But we're brighter now, more like a jade stone. I don't know, she said. I'm careful with my magic. I practice a lot, but I don't cast actual spells much, as they often have unintended consequences. I'll do some investigating, though. Come back in three days' time, and we'll talk then. In three days, four hours, and 23 minutes, Romachai went again to see Sybil. In that time, she and Lionel had fallen even deeper in love. They talked of traveling the world together when he finished his research. Of marrying, of having a child. Romachai had no idea if she could have children, and if she did, if they would be enchanted too, if she would be left to watch them grow old and die as she would Lionel. Her thoughts of the future, romantic and agonizing, hopeful and dreadful, were consuming her. She loved Lionel, and as much as she enjoyed simply being out of the pond, it wasn't enough. By the time she made her excuses to her dearest one and went to see Sybil again, she was desperate to meet Count Ferfer and ready to find out whatever he had in store for her. If she could not convince him to give Lionel as long a life as hers, perhaps he would agree to let her live her life as a mortal. Surely that wasn't a lot to ask, especially after she'd given so much of her life to Cressida's curse already. "'I think I know of a way I can get you in and out of hell safely,' Sybil said, ignoring the tea this time and pouring only straight whiskey into their two small silver cups. "'I will cast a twin spell, making you look just like me.'" It's in the glamour of my magic that you'll go to visit Count Furfer under the guise of learning precisely which spell Cressida cast over you. You'll tell him you're interested in casting a similar spell over a woman who is a rival for the affections of a new lover. Won't he be able to see through your magic?" Sybil took a deep swallow of her whiskey. I don't think so. At least not while he's in the underworld. See, in some ways a witch's spell can be even more powerful in hell than in the common realm, where the Count would surely be able to see right through one of my enchantments, just as he saw through Cressida's and was able to manipulate you. It is because I'm a nature witch, I believe, and I do not draw my power from the dark kingdom. At least that's what my grimoire tells me. Romakai stared into the bottom of the silver cup Sybil had given her. In one gulp, she finished her whiskey. "Are you ready?" the witch asked her. Romakai stood up and nodded. She followed Sybil up the stairs, feeling her heart pounding against her breast as if it was begging to be let out. Sybil did not burn herbals or scatter animal bones for her spell this time. Instead, she took Romakai to a large copper bathtub that stood alone in the center of her attic. It was filled with clear, cool water and nothing else. She had Romakai undress entirely, except for her necklace, and asked her to enter the tub, which she did, keeping only her head above water. Sybil then cloaked herself in a long cape of purple velvet, pulling its hood over her hair so that only her pale face was visible. She did not chant or sing in the old language this time. She merely lit a short beeswax candle and placed her hand on top of Romikai's head. Be back before this candle burns down. It's not much time, but should be as much as you need. How will I know the time? You'll know, Sybil said. Then she pushed Ramakai's head beneath the water. Ramakai's head broke the black onyx water of a small pool at the base of a volcanic mountain. She had no doubt she was in the underworld. She emerged dry as a bone from the still dark water, dressed in Sibyl's purple cloak. It camouflaged her well covering her body, her hair, and the necklace the count had given her. She looked onto the surface of the onyx pool and saw Sibyl's face reflecting back at her. The young witch's spell appeared to have worked. At the base of the volcanic mountain was a large set of doors and Romachai knew without a doubt It was the entrance to Count Furfur's Underworld Palace. She went into those doors and found them open and leading down a narrow corridor with the most curious light. It wasn't until Romachai stepped inside that she realized the corridor was lit by the captured souls of countless Unwise individuals. It was a terrible walk to Count Ferfer's chamber as the souls all cried out for help but were unable to be heard. Their light, bright, and ghostly faces made the corridor seem lonely and longer than it was and the thought of one day being stuck here with them made Romacai shiver and gasp. When at last she entered the Count's chamber, he looked up straight away as if he had foreseen her arrival. He was seated on an enormous throne made entirely of rubies, ones that appeared soft and moist like blood clots It was as terrible a throne as she had expected, but the count himself was like nothing she had expected. His face was boyish, with skin as taut and dark as a plum, his lips slim and pink like a rosebud. It was only his eyes a deeper purple than even Sybil's robe that betrayed what he was. A rare and distinctive pleasure to be visited by a nature witch, he said. What can I do for you? Romachai told him the story she and Sybil had rehearsed. You wish to know the specific curse the witch Cressida used on the water girl? and its nature?" Romikai nodded, and Count Furfur smiled with a slight shrug. Huh, the spell was a simple one, and hardly worth a trip to the underworld, I'm afraid. A protective spell made of spider silk and fresh thorny weeds. The girl could have been put in a cave or a tree, or the closet of a house, and it would have had the same effect. It was, as you know, Cressida's death that made the enchantment more or less permanent. That, and a promise made to me by the water girl's suitor. What sort of promise? Romakai asked. The mention of her suitor made her skin prick with needles. She hoped she didn't seem too eager in her response. (laughs) The short-sighted promise of a fool, of course. He wanted revenge on the woman who had injured his pride and he got it. He wanted earthly riches as well and he got those too. I got his soul for the rest of eternity. A much better end of the deal, I might say. And, and what of the girl? Ramakai asked him. Oh, the girl, he said wistfully. Her fate is more complicated. Indeed, the water girl and her beloved will continue to love like no other. Their love will grow just as her beauty. And when he dies, the girl's memories of him will only intensify, becoming more vivid with each passing second. She will never be able to love another, I'm afraid. And when she dies, when one day the world ends or her necklace is lost somehow, she will belong to me and come to live in this palace at my side. Romakai could feel her breath start to quiver in her throat. Not only at the dread of living forever in hell, next to the horrible corridor of souls at the foot of a throne of blood rubies, at the side of a boyish earl, with eyes that speak not of infinite possibilities, but the endless journey of the Forsaken, the God Forsaken. No, it was because the quiver traveled down to her lungs, making them feel tight, alerting her to how low the beeswax candle in Sibyl's attic was burning She did not wish to be stuck here, but before she went back, she had to know. Why is it you want her, she whispered. I mean, she's just some water girl. Count Furfur drummed his short, slender fingers on his thigh. He cocked his head and smiled, showing his teeth this time. They were small and misshapen like sweetwater pearls. Because I like nothing more than the presence of a woman in love. The Count said this honestly, with none of his usual sinister undertone. It was his ability to create love that was a singular light in his dark existence and having an enchanted soul pining for a lost lover at his side would be like holding time in a bottle. And there's one other thing the girl's suitor gave in exchange for his soul, he informed her. It was the one clever thing he did. Romakai blinked and shook her head. The suitor came to hell in exchange for her choice. Oh, well, what sort of choice? Your choice, he said. For do you not understand that I know who you are? You're not Sybil Ravencroft, a rather unpracticed nature witch. You're Romakai of the village, and then? the pond. Sybil's robes, along with her twin spell, fell away and Romakai found herself standing before Count Ferfer, unglamoured. Don't worry, he said, I won't keep you here. Not yet, anyway. You're free to leave any time you wish. But Romakai wasn't so sure. The tightness in her chest was growing worse, and her breathing? more erratic may i say you are even lovelier here before me than when i visited you in your pond he told her of course you grow more beautiful by the day but that's not why no no it's the glow of love The count's yearning for love was as palpable as the first glimpse of spring after a long long winter I am curious if once I give you your options it it will change the way you look the count smiled again licking his rosebud lips see if you remove the charm around your neck of your own volition well you will have to leave your lover behind but you will be allowed entry into heaven as if you had never been enchanted. But I killed a boy with my loneliness, Ramakai reminded him. The Count shrugged, raising up his tiny palms. It is only the things you do of your own volition that concern us here. And if I do not remove the charm, the Count crossed his legs and leaned into the girl. If you are greedy, if you wait until fate delivers you to us, or you remove the charm after the death of the one you love, and after you've had at least one human life to live with him, you will become my bride and my keeper of lost souls. Ramekai's mouth went dry and her hands began to quake. She tried to take in a breath but could hardly capture any air. The Count began to cackle. <laughs> it would appear your witch's candle is burning out and that I may have told you a little bit of a fib about not wanting to keep you here today. Without another word, Romakai turned from Count Ferfer and ran. She ran down the corridor, lit by souls, trying to shield her eyes from their awful light, but she could not. Towards the end of the vile and pitiless corridor, she saw the most furious and monstrous soul of them all, her old suitors. Its twisted white and hollowed, eyed, visaged, stared at her, lamenting its poor choices, ones fueled by pride and greed, hating and begging her with equal savagery. She heard his silent cries all the way up until her head broke the surface of the water in Sybil's copper tub. And she heard them in her nightmares as she slept next to Lionel that night. She also heard a voice, shrill and velvety all at once. I'm having a throne fashioned for you, Count Furfur whispered. A welcome gift of sapphires and emeralds that come not from the earth, but from the water. So you'll feel right at home. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> come back next week for what will be one of the final chapters of Ramakai, if not the final chapter, eh, probably not the final chapter but it's going to be a doozy, that I promise and please do visit uh, my blog called this week, uh, my next uh, blog post is up and um, in it um, I have some wonderful cover work that I would you know, love some input on for um, the redesigning of the breath series of sand and bone is coming out in a little over a month. And I just think these images are so stunning. So um, anyway, the link is in the show notes and it is www.victoriadoherty.wordpress.com. And um, I look forward to next week. Thanks.